reporting over WOR New York in RKO General Station. Coming up, Gene Shepard, and then at midnight, all night with Wingate. We have bad news tonight. Uh, hello, one, two, three, four. Why does this thing sound so rotten? All right, here we go. This uh, cheap Japanese transistor transmitter we got here that works on 9-volt uh, panelite battery cells. Uh, forever. Oh, I uh, have bad news here for you tonight. Uh, very bad news, and I have to lay it on you here. Uh, for those of you people who are animal cuckoos, and this country is getting to be more of an animal cuckoo country, quite possibly than the animists of uh, the middle period of the Egyptian dynastic reign. Uh, they worshipped animals. They, they, they went all out, you know. Uh, we're getting there. You've seen any of the dog food commercials recently on TV? <laughs> Listen, I want to tell you this. The average Doberman Pinscher eats a hell of a lot better than the average walking-around owner of a Doberman Pinscher. But uh, for those of you who believe that animals basically live in peace with one another, it's only man that knows evil. We'd like to have this report uh, laid on you here from Los Angeles, UPI. Abu and Samantha are breaking up. Their marriage just could not make it over the hump of their total bad tempers. The two had, and we quote here, this is a sad commentary on what's happening in the world. We quote, the two have had irreconcilable differences in a sometimes stormy five years of matrimony, said officials of the Los Angeles Zoo. Abu and Samantha are camels. Their relationship deteriorated badly, and then it began to deteriorate even further into battling, tooth and hoof. And they had to be separated after a lot of yelling and hollering the other night to keep, quote, law and order. And we must quote again, Abu has shown extremely aggressive tendencies towards Samantha, Hogan said, calling that, quote, very uncamel-like. Abu had better learn to keep a tighter rein on his temper with the next mate, 
if her name means much. The zoo is trading Samantha now to the Apache Game Farm <laughs> for a fantastic female named S.O.B. Yeah! Eesh, the glorious Steinemo camels. Betty Friedan of the double hump world. Try to bear Mr. Train. I say to bear Mr. Train. The bear Mr. Train, and now he's walking. Bear Mr. Train. Oh, the bear Mr. Train. Oh, the bear Mr. Train, and now he's walking home. There's no substitute for talent. There's nothing to do but uh, consent and just say, you just lay out there and just say, my God, this man's got it. Hey, listen, did we get the fantastic outpouring of mail about our I'm the President blues? You remember that one? Did you hear that one, Herb? <laughs> you even got one guy says, when the hell are you going to turn that out on a 45? He said, that'd be a smash bestseller. Oh, the bear missed the train. The bear. Would you please lay a goodie on them folks out there, Herbert, please? Tonight, instead of the usual before dinner, how about a Dubonnet before dinner? Before, that's the time to think about some Dubonnet to drink. Before's the proper time of day to have yourself a Dubonnet. Good boy, yeah, good boy. How about the Dubonnet? Just the time before the Dubonnet. Tonight, before you fix the usual, before <laughs> yeah. you settle down with the same old thing, you sit down have a Dubonnet that, instead. Dubonnet is the wine that's made to go before lunch, eggs. before have dinner. Just pour it over the rocks, add a twist, oh, yeah. soda if you like. That's Dubonnet before, made to make what comes after that much better. Dubonnet Company, New York, New York. Oh, how elegant. One of the most dramatic changes 
fellow sufferers in the field of independent school education is the desire of today's student to retain his family and community identity while preparing for college. In other words, to have his cake and eat it too. Well, this change has prompted the Cheshire Academy of Cheshire, Connecticut to introduce a five-day boarding plan starting the 17th of September. And that's getting closer. The Cheshire Academy has an outstanding record of placing college candidates in colleges throughout the United States. After 179 years, the average class size is still only 13 students. There are now some openings in most grades. Boy, you don't hide in a class of only 13 guys. And by the way, 13 seems to me a little scary number. I'm not superstitious. But uh, <laughs> to solve any transport, did you, what baseball player recently demanded that his number be changed from 13? That's right. Yeah, that's right. He, and, and for two years before that, he'd fetched to get number 13. He'd had two good seasons in a row. They changed it to 13. And when his ERA ballooned to 17.9 runs per game, he began to think that there was something wrong other than his slider. That's a fact. He, he uh, to solve any, and by the way, they wouldn't let him change. You know why? Well, they said it's too late in the season to get new uniforms for this guy, and furthermore, his number thirteen is right on the cover of the yearbook that they're selling. You know, there he is. He's. <laughs> oh man. Well, anyway, Cheshire Academy uh, will solve any transportation problem the, uh, for weekend bus transportation from selected metropolitan areas. And uh, Cheshire offers a college prep course, grades 7 to 12, and PG work. There is also a co-ed day school community with local transportation arrangements. Now, if you'd like to call and find out about this elegant school, Cheshire Academy, Cheshire, Connecticut, you can phone them or write. And their phone number is 203, area code uh, 272-5396. That's 203-272-5396. Hey, listen, uh, uh, you know, before we uh, get too deeply involved in the heavy philosophical end of this uh, effort here tonight, uh, uh, I got a letter here a couple of days ago from a guy who says, Shepard, how is your your collection of esoteric commercials going? Are you aware that, that, that well, let's, let's face it, we're, 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 we're citizens of the 20th century. Now, in the 19th century, uh, what did guys collect? They collected stamps, right? I mean, after all, there was nothing to happen in the 19th century, so you, you had to collect stamps or you collect war clubs, you know, some groovy stuff like that. Now, uh, we're in the 20th century. This is the media century, right? And it has been considered by many that the ultimate thing which our century will be known for is the total art form known as the commercial. I mean, there is more effort. There is more work. There are more creative guys. There is more dough, more everything poured into turning our commercials than any other single object in our world, right? I mean, you know, they laughed when those guys were building those pyramids. 4,000 years ago, everybody sat around and said, what the hell is this, you know? I'm piling them bricks on top of one another. This guy's just making work. It's, uh, you know, it was a very early WPA, you know, to keep the slaves from getting arthritis, you know, and keep them moving. Well, the only thing that we remember of Egypt now are those pyramids. And that would have surprised every Egyptian walking around. And you, wouldn't believe, you know that the Egyptians had a professional basketball league and not, not one person remembers, that's right, not one person remembers who the leading scoring center of the Thebes team was. Now, 
that's the, that's the kind of stuff that's totally in uh, our halls of fame. You know, we make these ridiculous little sad halls of fame: the football hall of fame, the hockey hall of fame, the stickball hall of fame. Uh, you know, all these things that we, we we put a little house up. You know, put plaques up. Four hundred years from now, they wonder what the hell was this? You know. Who was Babe Ruth? Who was Hank Aaron? You know, they won't even know the names, but they will remember the commercials because they will reverberate throughout the centuries. And there will be guys 150, 200, 500,000 years from now sitting in, in very learned councils, listening and analyzing our commercials, trying to figure out what it was, trying to figure out what the hell this stuff was they were selling. Because, you know, a lot of the stuff that big commercials were written about has disappeared. I have, for example, an entire collection of commercials relating to a product called the Edsel. Even now, if I played it, a lot of guys say, what the hell is that, Edsel? Edsel sounds like some, you know, new tie to tennis shoe. You know, uh, but uh, so already it, it, we assume that these products will last forever. What makes you think that 700 years from now they will be eating Twinkies? The Twinkie Company would like to think that, but the, what makes you think this is true? Okay, uh, so <laughs> I can see 700 years from now. Can you see 700 years from now a guy sitting down with a bunch of uh, you know very serious uh, professor types, and they've got notebooks, and they're wearing these skinny glasses, you know, with the ribbons on them and all that stuff, and they're listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> now you think that uh, you think that the culture is not spreading? How's that for an elegant piece of uh, of artwork? Now, really, that's that's made the much more impact. <laughs> what language is that? We will award a brass treaty. Don't come calling in and say that's the way they talk in Staten Island. Now, come on, come on. I understand and speak some Staten Islandese, and I know damn well that uh, that is not the correct accent. Staten Islands are more glottal, you know. Yeah, gagwa, like that. So uh, that uh, is a <laughs> very elegant piece of work. Now, uh, now this is this is from our vast file of uh, esoteric commercials. And uh, what makes you think that seven hundred years from now? Do you want to hear that again? Uh, reset that again and try to tell me what language this is. And uh, by, listen to this, man. Now you think American culture hasn't made an impact? Listen. You can just hear him playing this from the mosque. Yeah, this is W-O-R. No, wait a minute. No, wait. That's not... Wait, wait, wait. Hold it there, man. Just a minute. Now, I'll show you another piece of collector, Yana. Uh, people are beginning to collect stuff relating to radio. Now, listen carefully to this. This was taken out of a radio program 
that was broadcast on WOR. We found this in our vast, musty archives in the year 1945. And this is the way this vast radio output, this tremendous, uh, this tremendous uh, spot on the dial, identified itself in 1945. Well, you hear the lyrics. Listen carefully. That powerful, powerful station. With a 50 kilowatt mile. Yeah! Mutual, 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 mutual. Hurt but near and far. This is WWW. Somebody stop me. Oh, I. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How do you like that, man? Now, that's a true collector's item. That is true, true Americana. Yeah. That 50,000 kilowatt smile. I love that. It's still got it. It's turned into a little bit of a, little bit of a grimace now, but it's <laughs> after all, everything else has. <laughs> hey, you know, that, that, uh, just, just hang on there a minute. And now here is the kind of commercial I think probably even as, 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 as just 10 years from now, if you played it, people would wonder what the hell you're talking about. Now, uh, the commercial is, is uh, it has curious uh, connotations. For one thing, it's the most lasting art form. Do you know that that the, that you can find commercials scrawled on the walls of Pompeii? You know that? I'm very serious. Uh, that, uh, that the archaeologists have uh, have discovered that a lot of the stuff that's scrawled all over the walls of Pompeii were actually commercials. What for? Well, ladies of the evening. Uh, this is the truth. They they put their names all over the walls. You know where to call them, what corner to meet them, right next to Vesuvius there on the left. Uh, <laughs> anytime, call me anytime after four. Just the side of the uh, just the side of uh, the Colossus of Rhodes. I'll be standing down there by the big foot there. Uh, but uh, never. <laughs> no, I'm serious. These were commercials, and 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 there have been people who have even said that large parts of the Bible are commercials. Uh, that that have been difficult to to determine what they were commercials for at this point of, in time, but the, this is the way it goes. You know, the commercial. In other words, the the urge for one man to sell another man something is as endemic as the urge to say procreate, uh, eat Twinkies, uh, shelter yourself from the howling gales. It's all part of the same thing. It, it man is a selling creature. Now, it's never been reported that one turtle sold a, a, uh, a rock to another turtle. It's one of the things that sets man apart. And it must have been a, a, a moment when, when man first crawled out of the, of the antediluvian uh, ancient swamp, still bearing traces of his uh, webbed feet. Uh, he still had a little seaweed hanging down off his ears, you know, and he was, wasn't breathing too good uh, even yet. You know, he'd gasp a lot and sweat, just like you. And as he crawled out, Og and, and uh, the very earliest of the cavemen, Og and Charlie, the two of them crawled out. See, there's always two kinds of men in, in, in society. Always. The seller and the sucker. The one who sells and the one who gets sold to. Now, let's face it. The one who gets sold to far outnumbers the sellers. And uh, he's much more visible. 
because too often the sellers are on the fantail of the yacht off of uh, Barbados. They don't have time to mingle around here with the ordinary walking around guy on 6th Avenue. So uh, the, the, the two of them, that must have been a historic moment. When uh, when Og is squatting down there in the mud, you know, and the wind is howling. After all, they they had nothing but wind in those early days, and they didn't have trees. They hadn't invented trees yet, any of that kind of stuff. And uh, they didn't have a sky like we know it. The sky was not invented until the late 1830s. And and here they are, they're squatting down, and uh, it's, everything's gray. See, you can see the water down there. And uh, water had just evolved, as a matter of fact. And it was very primitive compared to our water. Now it was sort of lumpy and stuff. So this this uh, og is squatting down there. See, and every fifty minutes he doesn't know why. He's a creature of total physical habits. Remember, man is largely animal. And so when the gnawing deep down side of his stomach pit says eat, he doesn't say, "Gee, it is time to eat." What does he do? He just grabs for the nearest thing and starts chewing. Just the way your average dachshund does, you know. So he's sitting there, Og. <laughs> he gets up and he squats his way down, scrunching through the mud. Then he reaches down and he picks up a clam. One of the very earliest things, you know, that man ate, believe it or not, was the clam. Uh, because, uh, well, as a matter of fact, I have to dig clams myself. And I'm glad to report that the clam was one of the first things discovered by man to eat. First of all, clams had a hell of a time getting away from early man. Even then, the clam was not as fast as he should have been. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. And uh, man, who was not among the fastest of creatures at the period, and still does not remain among them. Have you ever tried to, say, uh, race your average German shepherd? Uh, I've known of a few guys that have tried it. I knew one guy, gee, got the back of his Robert Halt shirt, his, his suit ripped right off the back. Of course, he deserved it for what he was doing. But nevertheless, I'm not, I'm not here to make any bad judgments. However... That moment when Og, squatting down in the mud, looks down into the wind and the howling gale, gets up and waddles down and picks up a clam. Now, even then, opening a clam was not, you know, it was not that easy. But man, because of his fantastic brain, which at that time was roughly the size of your average macadamia nut, he took that clam and he bopped it up against a rock. And the clam is laying in there, see? Knows his time has come. And Og just goes... <laughs> I could do with a plate of clams right now, come to think of it. My God, whenever I think of a plate of cherry stones nestling in that ice, that little sauce on the side, ice cold, I tell you. But uh, that's beside the point. Nevertheless, Og did not have any, any uh, tartar sauce or any uh, hot sauce to go with it. That came later on, see, but at this time, just a clam. <laughs> oh. And he went scrunching back up. Well, here is his companion. The, the, the idea of friends had not yet evolved. It has not yet evolved, actually. It is merely a concept that many people speak of, but as an actuality, uh, it is a highly questionable thesis. Uh, like other things, love, peace, these are all things that man has... The, the curse of writing has created these myths. Uh, you know, he writes it on the wall. Whether it has anything to do with what he actually does or not is, is uh, beside the point. Writing had not come about yet. However, this was a historical moment. Ah, goes squatting his way through the mud back up to the ledge there where he sits down and looks out into the grayness. His companion, Charlie, 
the reaction time, by the way, sometimes took as many as seven, eight, nine, ten years compared to, you know, today's reaction time of the average person is maybe two or three years on any given idea. So, uh, yeah, man has improved. So Charlie sees the juice of the clam dripping down over Og's chin. Now, he was the first, and it's a very, very, very important distinction, the first buyer. Og was delivering the first commercial at the moment when, after he squatted down, he went, and the air was redolent for that brief instant with luscious, delicious used clams. Causing an insane desire in the part of Charlie to have a clam. But he was basically, as most buyers are, lazy. Hogg got a faint idea, at which point he squinched down to the, to the shore of the lake, picked up a clam, and brought it back. And there, at that moment, the first Corvettes was born. Now, what transpired between the two of them, what transaction occurred, let us suffice it to say Og came off the better of the two. And it's a basic premise of selling and buying. Do you agree, gentlemen? Okay. So, hence, the commercial will remain with man as long as man is on this earth. What was the first thing we did when we arrived on the moon? We put up a sign, you know, saying, this is brought to you courtesy of President Nixon. Or something. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a basic commercial. All right. Now, uh, we have all kinds of interesting commercials, which uh, I think this commercial here is going to be studied a hundred years from now, and it will be totally impenetrable. It will be as impenetrable. You know that they've found pieces of, of uh, Egyptian writing that are so enigmatic that nobody can conceive what they're referring to, to this day. And so I think this commercial will be. The single most exciting basketball player in America. Julius Irving is now a New York net. Dr. J with more moves than Bobby Fischer. Now, first of all, I'll have to figure out who the hell Bobby Fischer is. Everything you've ever heard about him is true. And you'll be able to see Julius Irving performing his this thing. What is this with a basketball in the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum for the New York Veterans. Veterans. I'll say veterans sure you of get what? your season what tickets now. Call 516-294-6400. Mystic numbers. That's it. It's religious. Kabbalistic mystic numbers. I could see a man saying the word net, the word net refers to an intertwined series of chords. Now, the most common use of the net during the 20th century was to scoop fish. There were fish back in those days, to scoop fish out of the waters. Now, the New York nets, and there's a lot of argument at this time what New York stands for. The word new, of course, means something that has not occurred before, a, 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 something that is, is, is fresh and virgin on the countryside. York the only thing we can think of is the word York refers to a town in England. And so the confusion begins. And they, they say, doctor, the man, is, he is a doctor they are referring to. Doc something, isn't it? Something like that? They say the word, huh? Yes. So obviously he's some kind of a, this is obviously a religious 
uh, because you hear the crowd cheering and the at the <laughs> but the idea the idea of a whole bunch of slobs sitting around in a in a in a in a, in a gymnasium out in Long Island would be totally confusing to to a because uh, you see the the academic mind rarely is in the same tune and in the same in the same wavelength as the Archie Bunker of the era. Now I say that if you were to call in seven or eight Archie Bunker types and sit them down to read the Egyptian scrolls, they'd know what it was about, because it was probably about something very much in the Archie Bunker world that the academic world can't conceive of. That's right. Do you understand what I'm saying? That the, that the academic, there's a lot of things he doesn't know about. For example, do you know that just recently, one of the big sporting events that occurred out in the one of the western states, as a matter of fact, Colorado, was the belching and burping and spitting contest. Now that was carried. Now I'm not. No, wait a minute. I, no, I'm, I'm not making any uh, any value judgments on it. But this was carried on all the news networks. The, the 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 man who who had the most magnificent burp, which they say covered an octave and a half, and uh, was was well over a minute and three quarters in duration. Fantastic. Was able to be heard for over three or four hundred feet. Tremendous, re- window shattering. Uh, he trained on cabbage. Uh, this guy, this guy is a is a great. We understand this, but do you think George Plimpton would know about this? Do you think for one minute that Susan Sontag would know what this guy's doing? That's right. So there's another gulf, you know. There's a big gulf there. So uh, <laughs> Doc Irving, is that his name? <laughs> Has more moves than what? Bobby Fisher. Well, now that's con- going to confuse them. Uh, Fisher again. The reference to fishing. Uh, they would. They would. They would say, this has to do something with the sea god, uh, <laughs> and uh, this is the way. Of course, uh, the the confusion is compounded uh, in in our educational and our incidentally our academic world. Uh, one can pick just enough lint, and then one winds up with just a lot of lint. As a matter of fact, I would like to applaud uh, another unsung hero uh, out in Circleville, Ohio. Tonight, you might not know about this man, but he just completed one of the great achievements of modern man. Again, most achievements that are really great, I mean, the really difficult achievements, are hardly ever recognized by Rune Arledge and uh, Howard Cosell. They already think scoring touchdowns is hard. Listen, how many touchdowns they score in the average season? Probably five million. But this guy did something in the world of sport that I have to say stands almost alone. After 46 years of collecting, he finally completed what he was working on. He filled a pillow with the lint he removed from his navel over 46 years of collecting. Now, I'm telling you the truth. Let's give that poor guy a hand, you know. <laughs> and, and there's nobody going to say, you know, they're, they're not going to. Uh, but it's 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 this is personal. You know the real bravery to me. A really great man is a man who does something for itself alone. He's not going to be on the cover of Time. He did something fifty times harder than uh, than kicking a forty-five yard field goal. Believe me, it takes sustained drive. Not only that, a man in Racine, Wisconsin, recently pulled off another one and i'll tell you yeah there's <laughs> no you got that you got to recognize talent you, you just got to you know and, and, and it's a shame we don't recognize this guy at the age of 14 was this was many many years ago in fact he's a man in his late 70s now he was walking down a street in racine 
when he saw on the sidewalk in front of which at that time was nothing but mud and, and the boards, you know, he sees a playing card. It was the Eight of Clubs. He picked up the playing card. And uh, later, in fact, in the most recent interview with him, he says, I did not know why I did it. This is an important statement. Uh, that, that, that the drive towards immortality is, is, is a drive which is almost uh, incoherent. It, it, it's, it's, it's a drive which we do not understand. You don't think for a minute that you could have stopped, say, uh, Edgar Allan Poe on the streets. Why do you write all this stuff about ravens, huh? Come on. Come on, come on. There's no money in it. Poe earned over $7 on the raven. And you can see he's not going to retire on this, so he can't say, well, it was a doe, you know? I figure there's a lot of doe writing about ravens. No, there was something inside that said, write about ravens. He could not explain it, and he did. You know, the, ra the whole bit, you know, you about the raven there. Yeah, yeah, sitting up there, squatting around, hollering, nevermore. Hey, that would be a great, great bit to have on a newscast. Have a raven back of Walter Cronkite. You know? <laughs> Every time he says, and in Washington today, and this thing goes, never more. He turns around. He says, one moment, we'll return after this commercial. <laughs> you hear a lot of squawking, and then we go to the commercial. Well, uh, that, uh, this, you see, the mystic part of this cannot be erased either. But nevertheless, he said he's walking down the street, sees this eight of clubs. Now, that's just an ordinary card, right? He picks up the eight of clubs, and he put it in his pocket and took it home. So a couple of days later, now this is a true story, a couple of days later, he takes the eight of clubs out of his pocket when he was, you know, looking for a string or a toad or something. After all, he's only a kid. He takes, takes this, this, uh, this card out and looks at it, and he said something made him put it in his drawer of his, you know, his bureau where he keeps his baseball caps and stuff. He puts his eight of clubs, and he says he's walking down the street about a month later, and he comes across a jack of diamonds, which he then picks up, takes it home, and puts it next to the eight of clubs. Well, you see how slowly fate begins to work. He, at this time, still didn't think anything about it. A couple of weeks later, he finds the three of hearts. Just picks it up on the ground, three of hearts. Well, do you know, last week, he completed a complete playing deck of 52 cards found on the street. And he says, you know what's, what's amazing? Give him a hand. That's right. You know what the hardest card was to find? You would not believe. He says he looked for 45 years to find one. Totally inexplicable. The Nine of Diamonds. Now, you would never suspect the Nine. He says, I find dozens of uh, Ace of Clubs. He says, I find that, like, he's a 3,500 kings. He says, nobody, for some reason or other, ever loses the nine of diamonds. They hang on to him. And he said, he was walking down the street in Racine two weeks ago. He's an old man by now, you know, and he figures his dream is dissolved. Like many old men, they figure their dreams are gone, you know. He's walking down the street, and he says, I could not believe it. A nine of diamonds. He picks it up, runs home, puts it with his deck. And he says, I sat there for a an hour or two, just looking at the deck. He says, I have a feeling of completion. I have completed my life work. Don't laugh at this guy. 
his life work is no more nor less ridiculous than anybody else's life work. You don't think for a minute that a guy that piles up a lot of bonds in front of him on a desk, and then when he finally corks off, that life work's going to do him any good, do you? When he goes sliding down that big chute, do you? <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> he can't take them bonds with him any more than that guy can take the nine of diamonds with him. <laughs> and so he has completed his life work. Fantastic. One more, and one more. I, I might say that the interesting thing about this, and I do not wish this to be construed as a male chauvinist pig remark, it appears to the students of this type of phenomena that this is almost exclusively a male hang-up. I, I, I'm not, uh, I'm just not, not, it is, it is men who do these things. Now, for example, yes, why, who knows, Ahab. Can you imagine Gloria Steinem stumping around on a poop deck at a Pequod? No way. Now, that's not putting Gloria down, nor is it putting Ahab up. It's just a fact. Now, one of my favorite pictures I keep, you know, I have a great collection of things which are inspirational. We all have this. We have little things. Some guys have $20 bills they take out and they look at them once in a while, feel them. Uh, you know, it's an, insp <laughs> it's an inspiring of other things. Uh, other guys, you know, everybody's got his own, th you know, way of seeking out inspiration, right? Well, I have a collection of things down in my office, see, which I keep all up on my board down there that inspire me. When when things are really, you know, there's in everybody's life, you know, you're sitting there and all of a sudden it all starts to sag, you know. The air conditioning starts squirting out blue slips. Uh, you know, the, the the great memo God is sending them down, you know, from some mysterious place somewhere. Yeah, I'm getting memos these days from people I know don't work here. I just know it. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I got one from some place that apparently makes staplers the other day. Uh, you know, and, and, I, and I know, I think it's memos that are seeping in from the office next in the building next to us. They're coming through the walls, see. I got one from a towel company the other day telling me to straighten up, you know. And I know I don't make towels in that office, and I don't sell them neither. Don't even often use them. But nevertheless, here I am, see, <laughs> looking up at that thing. And, and you know what one of my favorite pictures is? A farmer. A farmer in Eulalie, Mississippi. Now, I don't know anything about Eulalie, Mississippi. Never been there. Life in Eulalie, Mississippi can't be much different than it is anywhere else. You know, you win some, you lose some. Rain comes down on your head, you get bit by a dog, you know. It's just a, just the same thing. Life goes on, you know. You wait in line for your cleaning and all that stuff, and the buttons fall off. You know life. You know what it's like, you know. But this man has his picture nationally published by the United Press International Photo Service, which is something few of us can say. In 86 years, the man is 94. He has saved a ball of string that is 18 feet in diameter. 18 feet! That's two stories high! He's got a ball of string in his backyard that, that casts a shadow that's longer than the Howard Johnson. And he's standing proudly beside it. He says, I'm through now. He's finished. He's picked up his last piece of string. He's retiring. He's leaving the field to younger competitors. And there's that magnificent piece of string. And, and, and I, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, here's a guy who's pushing, he's pushing 100. He ain't going to be with us long. 
And I'd like to see him hang around. A man like that, he's leaving. He will. Inevitably, he will leave. Will the person who inherits that ball of string appreciate it? You know, some kid, you know, is going to get this ball of string. He's going to, yeah, and what's he going to start doing? You know, wrapping packages and stuff with it. That's, a, that's what happens always to great fortunes. The old man earns it. He fights the sea for it. He captures Moby Dick. He drags him back in from the ocean. And then just about the time he drags that big whale in, he gets a heart attack and he's gone. And there's his kid standing around. Next thing you know, he's hanging around the Dairy Queen, spending all that dough. And that's exactly what will happen. And so tonight, I just, just want to pay homage to that one basic drive that all men share. They have the drive to sell. Now, we've talked about sex many times on the radio, TV, news, all that. We've talked about the eating. But we rarely talk about one of the truly basic drives to sell. What do you think wars are about? That's a drive to sell one ideology over another. Ultimately. Make it work. I'll make it work or I'll bash your head in, you know. <laughs> I'll show you what what it's going to be like, you know. And it's just really all selling. So a guy sitting down with a chick, looking her deep in the eyes, you know. And he's serving her this glass of, of uh, Dubonnet. You just heard the commercial. You think he's interested in her drinking wine? What's he trying to sell her? <laughs> yes. Life is almost entirely selling. Which reminds me, we better get to it right now. When you ask tough questions, you better have the answers. And we do. Example, the beer you drink. Do you really like its flavor, or do you drink it out of habit? Do you know there's one absolutely great-tasting beer? Do you know it's Ballantine? Why don't you try a Ballantine beer tonight? Who do we think we are asking these tough questions? The people with the answer. The only answer. Ballantine. You just can't resist that. <laughs> How's that one for another one out of the great collection? Oh, I've got some fantastic commercials in my collection, really. Uh, and and I, I'm... Uh, one day, that, well, I, I, I just, I'm predicting it. One day, there will be a little shops down on 3rd Street, down in the village, you know, where they will sell old commercials. You don't think so? Well, who would have believed that there would be a place in the village someday where they would sell old Led Zeppelins? <laughs> and that's all they sell, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, one of the great commercials, uh, speaking of commercials, did you ever go to a funeral in a small town? You ever go to a funeral in a small town? Well, you know what one of the big things they do in funerals in small towns is to hand out fans. Fans. So that the people who are sitting in the church or in the funeral parlor can fan themselves, see, while the deceased is, you know, he's laying out there in that, in that $40 casket, you know, and they just fan themselves. Well, on the, on the, on the back of the, of the fan, you've seen him, haven't you heard? Right, with a wooden handle. Now, most New Yorkers have never seen this. 
And, that's, and, and they're going to think that I'm talking about the good old days. Well, you know I'm not, Herb. I mean, uh, I'm talking about right now that in small towns, the, the tradition of local advertisers to hand out fans at the funeral parlor is... Because you see, you get a guy at a particularly vulnerable moment. You know, he's fanning himself, you know, there, and he sees, he sees Uncle Fred laying out there, see, with that big gold watch chain there. And he's fanning himself, and he, he all of a sudden he says, you know, my God, we're not long for this earth. I'm telling you, just remember two weeks ago, Uncle Fred was walking around drinking beer and yelling and hollering. Look at him now. And he's fanning away, and all of a sudden, what does he see on the other side of the fan? Right there at that crucial moment. It says, you can't take it with you. Buy a new galaxy. There's this picture to forward that. Come down to the... <laughs> And he says, my God, it's right. You can't take it. Next thing you know, he's got seven Fords. He's buying freezers full of popsicles. God knows what. And so selling is what the name of the game is about. You know that? Yes, right. Matter of fact, you know that when they opened King Tut's tomb, they discovered that the tomb was one entire commercial for King Tut to try to get him into heaven. Didn't work. Like most commercials, ultimately, they, they sort of just lay there, you know, and quiver around a little bit. Everybody sort of enjoys it and moves on. You know. Oh, well. Maybe your hairdresser does know. Uh, then again, it may be just abstract in the end. Doesn't really matter one way or the other, does it? Whether she does or doesn't. But then again, I particularly, I, I really enjoy squeezing Charmin myself. This is WOR New York and RKO radio station. Stay tuned for John Wingate.